Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, in our journey through Luke. So let me go ahead and just read the text, verses 21 through 24 in Luke chapter 2. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Father, I just come before you today, Lord, and Lord, I just pray that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Lord, I pray that you will give me the ability to proclaim your word to your people. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today, God, that we would, um, Lord, that he would give us understanding, Lord, and that we would that we would heed what we hear, God, that we would obey, Lord, that we would not be hearers only, but doers of the word. And Lord, we just pray that Christ would be glorified today and that your will would be done. In his name we pray, amen. I want to read a short article to you guys real quickly by way of introduction. This is an article that I, that I read online from uh, gotquestions.org. And the, the question, it's, uh, it'll just take a few minutes. But the question is, why did God sometimes change a person's name in the Bible? When God changed a person's name and gave him a new name, it was usually to establish a new identity. God changed Abram's name, meaning high father, to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. At the same time, God changed Abraham's wife's name from Sarai, meaning my princess, to Sarah, meaning mother of nations. This name change took place when God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. God also reaffirmed his promise to give Abraham a son, specifically through Sarah, and told him to name his son Isaac, meaning laughter. Abraham had another son, Ishmael, through Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. But God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham was fulfilled through Isaac's line, from Jesus, uh, from, from whom Jesus descended. Isaac was the father of Jacob, who became Israel. His twelve sons formed the twelve tribes of Israel, the Jews. The physical descendants of Abraham and Sarah formed many nations. In a spiritual sense, their descendants are even more numerous. Galatians 3.29 says that all who belong to Jesus Christ, Jew, Gentile, male, female, are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God changed Jacob's name which meant supplanter to Israel, meaning having power with God. This happened after Jacob had taken Esau's birthright and stolen Esau's blessing, fled from his brother to his uncle Laban, married Leah and Rachel, fled from Laban, and then wrestled with God as he prepared to meet Esau. Jacob had tricked his brother, been tricked by his uncle, tricked his uncle, and was now going through his brother's territory to escape his angry uncle. He heard that Esau was going to come out and meet him and feared for his life. That night, Jacob wrestled with a man who later identified himself as God and is considered a theophany or perhaps a pre-incarnate Christ. Jacob held on to the man until he obtained a blessing. It was at this point that God changed his name. No longer would Jacob be a supplanter and a trickster. Rather, he would be identified as having struggled with God and with humans and and overcome. In the New Testament, Jesus changed Simon's name, meaning God has heard, to Peter, meaning rock, when he first called him as a disciple. It was Peter who declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied to him, 
replied to him as Simon, son of Jonah, saying that he was blessed because God revealed Jesus' identity as Messiah to him. He then referred to him as Peter and said that Peter's declaration was the basis or the rock on which he would build his church. Peter is also often seen as the leader of the apostles. Jesus occasionally called Peter Simon at other times. Why? Probably because Simon sometimes acted like his old self instead of the rock God called him to be. The same is true for Jacob. God continued to call him Jacob to remind him of the past and to remind him to depend on God's strength. Why did God choose new names for some people? The Bible doesn't give us reasons, but perhaps it was to let them know they were destined for a new mission in life. The new name was a way to reveal the divine plan and also to assure them that God's plan would be fulfilled in them. And so I was, my mind was on that of names because the title of the message is His Name is Jesus. And, and so names, as you can see from that short article in the, in the Bible, had a significant meaning. They, re- they really did. And so, and really what that, that last sentence in the article, the new name was a, a way to reveal the divine plan and to assure them that God's plan would be fulfilled in them. And so, so these names took on a, a, a significant purpose in God's you know, redemptive plan that we can see. But guys, it just leads me to say the name that we're looking at today, there is no name more significant than the name of Jesus. That's, that's, that's the name we're going to be looking at today. What does the Scripture say about this name? At the name of Jesus, right? Every knee should bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and give glory to God the Father. In Acts 4, 10-12, the Apostle says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name... This man stands here. They, they had, killed a, a, they had healed a, a lame beggar. By this man stands here before you in good health. The name of Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name than this name we're talking about today. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. God would change people's names, obviously for His purposes, as part of His divine plan, church, but Jesus is the divine plan. He is the plan. His name is above all names. His name is the plan, right? The demons tremble at His name. The world hates His name, do they not? The world hates His name. Again, the demons tremble at His name. The demons trembled at His name in the Scriptures. The demons still tremble at the name of Jesus Christ. Beloved, I believe with all of my heart standing before you today that our church is hated. Our church is hated. I believe the world hates our church and I believe the devil hates our church. And that gives me great comfort. I believe Satan detests this church and will do anything he can to end it. He will do anything he can to see you get discouraged, to see me get discouraged, because he hates this church. Why does he hate this church? Because we make this name the center of everything we do. Because we take this name to those who need to hear the name, and the demons hate it. Make no mistake about it. 
that the devil hates this church. He hates you. He hates me. He hates the work we're doing. Our church is hated. In my devotional time yesterday, this, this, this verse really, really spoke to me. Really spoke to my, my wife as well. 1 Samuel 14.6 For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Do you hear that? The Lord is not restrained to save, to deliver, to rescue, to accomplish His purposes. And He'll do it by many or He'll do it by few. Matter of fact, when you read in the Scriptures, most of the times, He did it by few. He doesn't need a great army because of His name, because of who He is. You know what He, you know what he needs? If you want to use the word need, you know what He uses. He uses people who love Him and who simply want to be used by Him to go proclaim the name. He doesn't need us, but He uses us to proclaim that name. To kick the devil right in the teeth. That's what we do when we proclaim His name. We proclaim that victory is in Jesus Christ. That He has risen from the dead and that He is a defeated foe. When my wife, when my wife got out of the car this morning and she was walking in the church to get in here in a hurry to help Shiloh and practice and I was still getting out of the car. She looked back at me and I just did this and she knew exactly what I was talking about. His head is crushed. Beloved, His head is crushed and He's crushed by this very name. For those of you who were here last week, guys, do you have your cleats on? If, you, if anybody remembers. You remember what we talked about last week? That our labor's not in vain. Be steadfast in the work of the Lord. And you remember Paul in, in Ephesians 6? He, he described that as that being steadfast as the, as the soldiers wearing these steel spikes. Are your, are your cleats on? Are you ready to stand steadfast and to keep your gaze upon Christ and not worry about what's behind or what's over here to the left? That's what Christ is looking for, guys. He's looking for individuals in a church who is steadfast in the purposes of the Lord. The purposes of the Lord, not in our purpose. Not in our comforts. Not in our happiness, but the purpose of the Lord. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And He has done that through His cross, through the resurrection of Christ. And now He has called us to take up our cross and to go proclaim that name. That's the mission of the church. It's very simple. To proclaim it and to encourage one another. Beloved, I encourage you today that God is not restrained to save by many or by few. He will use this little church to rescue sinners here in our city. Amen? Amen. The name of Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. Luke chapter 2. I texted Rocky earlier this week. And I said, brother, see I know I can text Rocky and others. I text... Some of you others, but but I texted Rocky one day this week and I said, Brother, or not matter of fact, I, I may have been at your house when I said that, but I was like, I need help. <laughs> this text is difficult. <laughs> How am I going to get a sermon out of this? But you know, God is always faithful. He's always faithful. And so I, I want to share with you what the Lord has put in my heart today. Um, and obviously we can just sit here and talk about the name of Jesus Christ all day. And, but let's look at this text. Just two points today, very simple today. Your first one is in verse 21a, the first part of 21, and then verses 22 and 23. 
So we're going to look at Christ today. Obviously, last week we looked, or a few, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the birth of Christ. Today, we're going to see he's at that age, eight days old. He's being circumcised. And so what we see in our first point, he obeys the law and he identifies with us. This Jesus, our Savior. He obeys the law and identifies with us. In verse 21, just the first part of verse 21, and when eight days have passed before his circumcision. Before, eight days have passed before his circumcision. So let's speak about that for just a minute. About this whole idea of circumcision. Verses 21a. We talked about this a few weeks ago because circumcision came up in the text. And so I just want to address it again real quickly and speak about this whole idea of him being circumcised. So in the Old Testament, the mark of being circumcised, or, or, or circumcision meant the mark of being a descendant of Abraham physically, right? Physically, that's what it meant. It also had health benefits practically, and it does now. Um, but it pointed to something greater. Circumcision pointed to something greater, which was, which is circumcision of the heart. If you guys remember, we've talked about that a lot. The, the cleansing of original sin. That's when the Bible speaks about circumcision of the heart. That's what it's speaking of. The cleansing of our original sin. We need to be cleansed. We are unclean in God's eyes. And so that's what circumcision points to. It is a circumcision is a physical picture of the, of the spiritual cleansing that happens at regeneration. When we're born again, we are, our hearts are circumcised. You don't have to, you don't have to, I'm not going to turn there, but Jeremiah. Prophet Jeremiah mentions that spiritual circumcision in chapter 4, verse 4, if you want to jot that verse down. Paul speaks of it in Romans 2, verse 29. We just read it actually in that article. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit. Okay, by the Spirit. And so, but we see Jesus being circumcised. Right? Jesus didn't have original or actual sin. So the question is, is why was He circumcised then here in this text? Well, His parents needed to do it because it was part of the law for all the male seed of Abraham at that time. Also, just for His future usefulness, you could say, He couldn't even be admitted to the synagogue or the temple. Which would really... uh, Prevent him from having access to the people in a large part. Practically speaking, he could not have been the Messiah if he had not been circumcised. Again, according to the law, according to the Old Testament law, one example would be Genesis 17, verse 12. There's, there's others as well. Where the Lord told Moses, or, or Abraham, every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised through your generations. There's the law. And in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Right? Meaning He's truly man. Born of a woman. And born under the law. So that He might redeem those who are under the law. Us. He might redeem His people. Why 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 do we need to be redeemed from the law? Because we have failed to keep it. Isn't that an amazing thing, guys? We were reminded that yesterday when we had a conversation with a guy. That it is, is it not so simple? That, that Okay, our eyes have been opened. This is the heart of the need for the Gospel that we have broken the law. 
And we explained it to a young man and explained it to a young man like we do, right? You've broken the law. The law can't save. You need a Redeemer. And you think maybe they're getting it and they say, yeah, but to me. And it's just the blindness. It's it's just a reminder of the spiritual blindness that is upon people. But this is the heart of it. We We have broken the law. And Christ kept the law. He was born under the law to so that He might redeem those who were under the law. But not only was He fulfilling all of God's law in our place, as our, as our point number one says, He was also identifying with us as sinners. Jesus was. He was identifying with us as sinners. You can see that in His baptism as well. That's why I read that text a while ago. I'll read it again. Matthew 3, verses 13-15. Because that's what we see here in this text, guys. Jesus kept the law for us. He obeys the law, but He's also identifying with us in different ways, as we'll see. But in Matthew 3, 13-15, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by Him. But John tried to prevent Him, saying, I have no need to be baptized by you. And do you come to Me? But Jesus answered and said to Him, Permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Beloved, the best way you can describe this text is He is identifying with us. We've been commanded to be baptized. And so it was God's will that He be baptized to identify with us as sinners. Romans 8.3 Paul says He, speaking of Christ, came in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He didn't come in sinful flesh But He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Meaning just outwardly speaking. He was truly a man as we are. He was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. A mother, a Jewish mother, bringing a child in the world to have him circumcised, beloved, and it was a reminder of our sin problem. That's what circumcision points to. It's a reminder of our sin problem. The cutting away of the old. The cutting away of the old and our need to be made made clean. That's the picture of circumcision. And although He had no sin of His own, obviously, Christ had no sin of His own. He was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, protected from that original sin. He was the one who would become sin on our behalf on the cross. He would become unclean. Matter of fact, He would be more unclean than anybody ever because of taking the sin of all of His people on the cross. He would become unclean. We are identified with Christ when the Spirit of Christ circumcises our hearts. We are identified with Christ when our old man dies with Him and is raised to walk in newness of life. So He is fulfilling the law perfectly on our behalf. But He is also identifying with us in His humanness with those He came to save. And we'll speak more of that following. Identifying with us. But I just want to ask you, have you been identified with Christ in this way? Have you been identified with Christ? Has your heart been circumcised? 
Has there been a cutting away of the old man? And made new. Have you been cleansed? That which circumcision points to. Has that happened in your life? Have you been raised? As baptism pictures. To walk in newness of life. See, these are why these things are important. These are the significance of these things. What they point to. Have you been raised to walk in newness of life? Have you been born again? That's the question. Beloved, His obedience, for example, in fulfilling all righteousness in His baptism that we saw, meaning in His water baptism, it's it's also just an example for us. And I think I know the answer because I'm pretty familiar with your, your testimonies, but those of you who have been born again, have you been baptized in water by immersion? That's God's will. He was identifying with us. Look at verse 22. We see this continuing on. His obedience to the law, His identification with us. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought Him up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. We, got to, we have to turn back to Leviticus real quickly. Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1-5 through 5, to get background information and context of what this is even talking about. Leviticus 12, 1 through 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, When a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days, as in the days of her menstruation she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall remain in the blood of her purification for thirty-three days. She shall not touch any consecrated thing, nor enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall remain in the blood of her purification for sixty-six days. So Mary, in this passage, in verse 22, when the days of their purification according to the law that we just read of Moses were completed, they brought Him up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. So Mary was obedient to the purification laws which means that she remained home for 40 days and then we see her presenting Jesus before the Lord. Very key. The law is being fulfilled. Every jot and tittle of the law. So during the 40 days, she was considered ceremonially unclean. Not permitted to go to the temple or engage in in the religious services. Beloved, the ceremonial uncleanness pictures sin. That's what the uncleanness pictures. It pictures sin. Like circumcision. A a woman's purification after childbirth pictured the need for cleansing of sin. That's simply what that's the picture of it. It's all a picture pointing to something greater. And in verse 22 at the end it says, uh, When those days were completed, according to the law, the purification, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Okay, so what's the reason here? It's like. In this text, every line means something according to the law. So they were, presenting, they were presenting Him to the Lord at the end of verse 22. What is the, what is the reason for this? Well, you don't have to turn there, but let me read Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And then we'll have some context. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn. Set apart for me. Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both man and beast. It belongs to me. So the context here is when God saved the firstborn of Israel and killed the firstborn of Egypt, right, in the Passover, when the angel of death killed all the firstborn of Egypt, saved the firstborn of Israel, He claimed the right to them. God claimed the right to the firstborn and obliged their parents, with the exception of the Levites, that they needed to redeem them for five shekels. Okay? For five shekels. This was was part of the law. Let me show you where that's found. In, uh, in Numbers 18, verses 15 through 16. Numbers 18, 15 through 16. And then we'll tie this together. Every first issue of the womb of all flesh, whether man or animal, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem. And the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. Um... As to the redemption price, from a month old you shall redeem them by your valuation five shekels and in silver. Okay, so being the mother's firstborn male and belonging to the tribe of Judah, not Levi, Jesus had been exempted from official priestly service in the temple by the payment of five shekels of silver. In other words... What's the significance of this that I just read? He's fulfilling the law here. He needed to be redeemed. The firstborn male needed to be redeemed for five shekels of silver. And so what we have here, we have Christ, once again, even in His infancy, fulfilling the law of Moses. Mary and Joseph paid the price to redeem the one. And this is why it's really significant, guys. And the, and the beauty of it. That what we have here is Mary and Joseph having to pay the price to redeem the one who would redeem us from the slave market of the devil. Jesus Himself had to be redeemed as a baby. Once again, He is identifying with us. The one who redeemed us needed to be redeemed. And so, beloved, in such a beautiful, symbolic way, the one, the Messiah, Jesus, who would redeem His people from their sins by keeping the law on their behalf, first experienced the sign of that redemption Himself by being redeemed. Now, obviously, He wasn't being redeemed from sin, but He was being redeemed. He obeys the law. Every little jot and tittle. And He identifies with us in the most marvelous ways. You understand what it means to identify with us? Guys, is it not a beautiful thing when somebody can truly identify with you with something you're going through? Is is that not a great thing? You're like, man, there's a personal connection here He knows what I'm going through. That's what we have going on here. Probably the most beautiful picture of this, explanation of this, is in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. The writer of Hebrews says this, 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. You know what that points to? He kept the law for us. He was tempted in all points like you and I, but without sin. This is a picture of Him keeping the law. His active, perfect obedience to the law of God. And the writer goes on and says this, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Therefore, why? Why? Because He was tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. He, he, can, he can sympathize with our weakness because as a man, as a real man, He was tempted in all things we are, yet without sin. Therefore, because of that reason, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you want application for point number one? There it is. The second half of that verse. The Son of God being truly man, just like you and I, He can sympathize with our weakness. He can identify with you because He was, in temp he was tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And therefore, you can draw near to Him. Brother, you can draw near to Him. He sympathizes with your weaknesses. He knows you are but dust. He knows that you're in the process of sanctification. He is there with you. The throne of grace is open to us. The veil has been torn. The Holy of Holies is open. Brother, do you take advantage of this? Do you take advantage of this? Or do you neglect it? Do you take it for granted that you have a sympathetic high priest in the order of Melchizedek? that sympathizes with you. Like nobody else can, right? Nobody else can sympathize with you like He can. Because he, he walked this life as a man. He was rejected by all men like we, we can never imagine. He was crushed under the wrath of God. The very hell we should have paid, He bore on that tree. And he loves you. If you're His child, He loves you. Okay? Don't ever neglect that. Don't take that for granted. Storm the throne of grace in your prayer life. He hears you. And He can handle it. He can handle anything you have for Him. Be honest with Him. Don't play games with God. Pour out your heart to Him. Confess your sins to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so thankful for that. Yes, my sins have been paid for once for all upon the tree, but even in a practical sense in the Christian life, we can be cleansed when we fall into sin, when we stumble. He's there to cleanse you. You're His. He has redeemed you with His blood. And His throne of grace is open for you as His child. So point number two, first of all, we saw He obeys the law. You see in all the just intricate ways He obeyed the law? Maybe ways we never thought of. In God's providence, He caused His parents to obey the law to fulfill all righteousness. So he obeys the law and he identifies with us. Secondly, we see in the second part of verse 21 and verse 24, he gives himself for us. He gives himself for us. Verse 21b, 
Really back to the title of their message. His name is Jesus. Amen? His name is Jesus. You know the emphasis in verse 21, guys, isn't really on circumcision at all. It was just that he was in passing. But we, but we needed to deal with it because it, we need to understand the background of it and what it pointed to. But the emphasis in verse 21 is not circumcision, but His name. That's the emphasis in the passage. And when eight days had passed before circumcision, His name then was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before He was conceived in the womb. You remember our Christmas message, Matthew one twenty one. That's the verse we looked at. In Matthew one twenty one, the angel told Joseph, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Wow! What a beautiful truth. The name Jesus. It means Yahweh saves. God saves. Do you understand the significance of this, guys? We talked about names earlier. God could have given him any name. The name he gave means that he is a Savior. Right? Jesus was also, or is also, a king. Right? He's, he was a king, the lawgiver, the, the, the great prophet, the priest, the judge, but he gave him the name Jesus, which means Savior. Is that not a marvelous thing for us? Is that not good news for us? When we're, when we're dead in our sins, when we're in the, the valley of darkness awaiting execution that He has sent somebody and gave Him a name that means Savior. It could have meant anything, but it means Savior. Right? He came into the world to save sinners. Jesus has not come to condemn, to judge, but to save the first time. And beloved, aren't you glad God didn't change His name? Well, He was Savior for a little while until you sin so many times and He's not Savior no more. No. If you have breath in your lungs, Jesus is a Savior that can save you. He can save those who are perishing. That's His name. He is a Savior. His name is still Jesus. He is still saving He is still saving all who will come to Him, He says. He says, all that the Father gives me. Do you know the Father gave Him a group of people before the foundation of the world? If you doubt that, go read John 17. He says, all that the Father gives me, they will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. His name is Jesus, that's why. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him. Since He always lives to make intercession for them, He is able to save forever to the uttermost, completely. That doesn't mean He just saves you for a few years and throws you to the trash dump because you because you uh, outsend His grace. Obviously, we know that grace is not a license to sin by no means. But for the true believer... For the one who has been purchased, the one who has been born again, He saves completely. Would it not be great, guys? Would you not be comforted if you knew Jesus was in the other room, that room out there praying for you? Man, I'd be like, that's great. He's at His throne 
praying for you right now. Interceding on your behalf. He is praying for you. That high priestly prayer in John 17, guys, He was praying for His people. He was praying for those whom He would save. He's praying for you. He, he lives to make intercession for you. He is a Savior. His name is Jesus. Verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of, in the, law of the Lord. You see all the references to the law of the Lord? Um, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Before we look at verse 24, verse 24 is a... Verse 24 fulfills verse 22. If you look at verse 22, when the days for the purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, and then down in verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. In other words, the sacrifice that we see in verse 24, it belonged to the ceremony of purification that we see in verse 22. It fulfills it, it completes it. And so, to see the background in this, we turn back to Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus 12, verses 6 through 8. We'll see the, uh, the context of verse 24 here in Luke. Leviticus 12, verses 6 through 8. This whole idea of offering um, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, the sacrifice. So Leviticus 12, 6-8, when the days of purification are completed, so you can see in this text, it's all within the same context here. When the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, whether male or female. Verse 8, But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. So we see Mary and Joseph bringing a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, like it says in verse 8 in Leviticus 12. First of all, the, the whole idea of bringing, uh, of bringing um, two turtle doves and two young pigeons rather than a lamb signifies their poverty. It really signifies their poverty that we've talked about in this whole discussion of the incarnation that Jesus was born in such humble means, right? Probably in a cave, in the dark, in the cold. A very bloody birth. For, for really just, just a picture of His of his rejection, that he came to his own, and his own rejected him. So that's what this reveals, just the poverty of Joseph and Mary, the humility of the incarnation. And so, beloved, it just reminds me to, to, to ask us, to ask you, are, are you concerned about your status, right? what you look like to other people? Let's be done with this kind of stuff. That's not what we see in our Lord. You know, don't, don't live to impress others, in other words. Don't live to impress others. Our Lord was born in the most humble means. Psalm 51, 17, it says, this is what we should strive for, guys. A, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
That's what we should seek. Not the status of men. Not to be, not to be impress others as individuals, as a church. We should seek to be humble, broken, and contrite. That's what God is looking for. Those are the people, those are the churches that God blesses. So the significance of verse 24 and really um, we, we can see this stuff really brought, this whole passage brought together. We'll, we'll kind of wrap this thing up. Look at the significance of this verse and, and bring all this together. John MacArthur says this and I quote, Though the occasion was joyous, right? I mean, the birth of a child, that's, that's a joyous thing. Birth of the Messiah, a joyous thing. Though the occasion was joyous, the sacrifices required, again, were to impress upon the mind of the parent the reality of original sin. So the, the sacrifices were, were, were required to impress upon the mind of the parents really their original sin. Mary's original sin. This purification. And, and, and the child that it inherited a sin nature when you think of the circumcision. All of this is a picture to remind us of this reality of our sin nature. He says circumcision points to the fact that cleansing is needed at the very core of a human being. A cleansing that God offers to the faithful and penitent. In other words, to those who repent and believe through the sacrifice of Christ to come. That's the reminder of all this. That's the picture of all this. The need for cleansing. The need for the Gospel. The need to be cleansed from our sin. Beloved, this sacrifice that we see here in verse 24 should remind us of our own sin, our need for cleansing, and the reality of the sin of our children, their need for cleansing when they come into this world. All of this, all of this circumcision, all of this purification, all of this points to our need for cleansing. Our children's need for cleansing. We don't come into this world clean. No matter how, no matter how precious they look, you can see it. When they start getting older, the sin nature coming out. You don't have to teach them to be selfish or lie. It's in there. And so all of this is a picture for us and our children that we need cleansed. It's to remind us to pray for them. Speaking of our children. Right? You pray for them. You preach the Gospel to them. And you call them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ who came to save with the warning that He's coming back to judge. He's not coming back to save. He's coming back to judge. But He came this time and was given the name Jesus because He's a Savior. And so obviously Mary was the one who was ceremonially unclean. Not Jesus here. And the sacrifices that Mary and Joseph offered, obviously they could not wash away sin like any of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. They didn't wash away sin. Hebrews makes that clear. The blood of bulls and goats don't wash away sin, but they were a reminder and a picture of a need for a Savior. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thing for our Roman Catholic friends who we love? This is a picture of Mary's reminder that she needs a Savior. That's what this is. Mary needs a Savior. 
Joseph needs a Savior. You and I need a Savior. Our children need a Savior. That's what all this stuff points to. So in God's perfect... Right? Everything God does is perfect. Everything He does is perfect. His judgment is perfect. His salvation is perfect. All, everything He does is perfect. His plan is perfect. So in God's perfect, providential plan of redemption, Joseph and Mary obeyed the requirements of the law in having their son circumcised. Obeying the laws of purification and even naming their son Jesus like like God told the angel to tell them. It's a beautiful thing. Gave Him the name Jesus. The One who came to save. He came to save. Can we say it enough? Jesus came to save. The One who became the ultimate sacrifice that all these sacrifices pointed to. The Lamb of God who came. Not just the Lamb of God, right? The perfect one. Perfect, spotless Lamb of God without blemish. Again, that's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Go go get a lamb. Go get one that's without blemish. Christ was without blemish. The one who became unclean. Oh, He was clean, but on that cross He became unclean as our sin was laid upon Him. As our filth. Think of all the sins for those who would believe throughout the ages. The sin of homosexuality was laid upon Christ. He became that on the cross. He bore that sin. The sin of all of deceit and, deceit and murder. All the things that your mind can't even comprehend. That's why God crushed Him upon the tree. The One who offered Himself He went voluntarily to the cross. For the joy set before Him, the text says, He endured the cross, despising the shame. Now He's set down at the right hand of God. But He went went voluntarily. His name is Jesus. For He came to save His people from their sins. Do you know Him? Do you know Him today? Do you know Him? I have a, my best friend in high school, guys. He's now a country music star. I grew up with him. He, he's red dirt country. He's really big in Texas, really big. On all the radio stations. He's even sang in Nashville at the Grand Ole Opry. Jason Boland and the Stragglers. I don't listen to that kind of music anymore, but, but he's big. I mean, he's, And so about 20 years ago, I went to one of his concerts. And this was even before he got really big. But he was still really big. I didn't realize he's like a celebrity. And so he would call my name out. And the crowd say, yeah, this is a big ball-headed guy. It's my buddy from high school. And so people thought it was, Man, you know him? It's like, yeah, I know him. I grew up with him, and he knows me. See, all these other people, they just knew about him. They knew him from a distance. I knew him, and he knew me. So, do you know Christ? Not just like the world knows him. Everybody knows about him. Well, a lot of people do. Some people never heard his name, even here. But do you know Him and does He know you? That's the question. Does He know you? Because remember on the day of judgment, He's going to tell many to depart from me. He said, I never knew you. You're a stranger to me. I never knew you. You may be religious, but I never knew you. Do you know Him? Does He know you? You see, you can rightly believe even in His deity. 
Right? Every demon in hell knows Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they tremble. But obviously they never bow the knee and then nor will they. No, we're talking about do you know Him as Savior and Lord? Is He your King? And has He truly saved you? Do you have what the Puritans would say, that experiential knowledge of Him. I know Him because He has saved me. 1 John 1, 5 and 6, it says, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Do you have fellowship with Christ? Do you say you have fellowship with Christ? but yet you walk in darkness in your, in your lifestyle? Beloved, do you know Him? Do you truly have fellowship with Him? Have you been delivered from sin? That's the question. That's the question. And for those of us who have, praise God, His name is Jesus. Guys, don't ever get tired of saying that name. I love saying that name. I love saying that name. I love seeing people's reaction. I love it. It causes all kinds of reaction, right? There's no neutrality with Jesus Christ. He says, you're either for me or against me. <laughs> but His name is Jesus Christ. And, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the, the kingdom of darkness trembles at His name. The angels rejoice at His name. God is pleased when we preach His name. When we walk in His name. When we, when we love in His name. When we forgive in His name. When everything we do, we do in His name. We pray in His name. His name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Him, I would call you to repent, to turn from your sin, and to believe upon His name. And He is mighty to save. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the name of Jesus Christ. God, we're thankful for that name that God, that one day every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and confess Him as Lord. And Lord, so... Father, we're so, we're so grateful, God, that this salvation that You have given us, Lord, is all by Your grace. It's all by Your grace, God, to receive, be received by faith, God. We thank You for it. We praise You for Your Son who became man, who was given the name of Jesus, Lord. May we... Uh, Never forget that name and the significance of it and that His name is still Jesus. You didn't change His name like You did so many others. Lord, we just love You so much. We're so grateful, God, that we can know You. So grateful, God, that You would cleanse such unclean people like us. That You would rescue us who were under Your wrath. And that Christ would bear that wrath, that full wrath, that full cup of Your wrath upon the cross so that Your wrath could be appeased, could be turned away from us. Lord, we love You today only because You first loved us. Father, we sing this song out of love for You. In Jesus' name, Amen.